welcome to Humans of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. I love telling stories, and I love learning from other people. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just a starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. Today on Humans and Magic, I'm talking to Rodrigo Tagoras. Now, Rodrigo is a name you may recognize because he just recently won Grand Prix Prague in 2016 in the Legacy format using none other than one of the most skill-testing decks in the format, Storm Combo. So we know, and I know, that he's an amazingly accomplished Magic player, and he's actually played a huge number of games over the years. As we talked, I learned that he not only played Magic, or plays Magic, but has also played games like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Warhammer, and lots of competitive games over the years. So I had a lot of fun talking to him about his life playing games, his family background, as well as things like his love for streaming and learning from things like streaming. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, one thing that also came out when I was talking to Rodrigo is just how much he has this almost sixth sense about what the opponent is going to do in the game. I feel like this is a skill that is not really teachable, but some people just have it. And Rodrigo just seems like the kind of person who has a natural intuition for the game, but maybe more importantly, just has a deep love, uh, a lifelong love for the game of Magic. So without further ado, Here's Rodrigo Tagoras. I hope you enjoy our talk. All right, today I'm here with Rodrigo Tagoras. Hey, Rodrigo, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. Yeah, how are things going for you lately? Uh, good. I think that's the reason that we are doing this. Because... <laughs> yeah, you must be feeling very good these days. Yeah, it's like a dream that I don't believe. Right. So, just for the listeners who may not be fully aware, like what what was the recent big thing that happened for you uh, in the world of magic? Yeah. So, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I won a GP somehow. And yeah, that's really great. Right. And as we all know, Magic is a very skill-based game. So you must have uh, played really well, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I played. Not really well, but at least good enough. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And uh, how have things been going for you lately, you know, outside of Magic? Uh, anything interesting going on? Uh, nothing really. Also, I... I play a lot of magic and then I also work on video editing and yeah that's my that's not a really fun job also that just uh sit on the computer all day and do videos. <laughs> okay so. so I guess the things that you do the most happen to be on the computer it sounds like playing magic and yeah. video editing. Yeah yeah I sit quite a lot of hours in front of it. Right. So where are you physically located right now? Like what part of the world are you right now? Uh, so I live in Madrid 
And right now I'm not in my own house because we are uh, remodeling it, uh, reform. Uh, it was, it was, we're just putting it together, changing the floor and everything. And we are on a rental house, but yeah, in Madrid. Excellent. I've never been to Madrid, but I hope to do that at some point. Yeah, I guess I just want to start from the beginning, Rodrigo. So tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Also, I have lived I'm a, all my lifelong in Madrid, in Spain. And then I have never liked to live in other places. I like my city uh, a lot. And I think it offers me everything I I want it's the it's a big city so you can you have always something to do and that's really great yeah that's awesome so for the people who have like myself who have never been to madrid i mean can you briefly describe what it's what it's like i mean, i know you said there's lots to do but what what's the environment like growing up there and and now being there also it's like every big city but madrid is a country on the south of europe so it's usually hot so right now we are like uh, 40 degrees or something like that which is quite hot and uh, then you have we have no sea but we have lots of museums and lots of parks and uh, roller coaster parks and everything you would want to have in a big city <laughs> excellent so I'm just wondering, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your family background. Like, you know, tell me a little bit about your mom and dad and if you have any siblings. Okay, I have a older sister, like four years old. But she uh, lives with her boyfriend. And so she doesn't live at home. And yeah, my, my father is a teacher at the university, history teacher. And my mother uh, studied... Uh, make his degree in uh, Lao, Lao it's called, mm -hmm. and, and, but she didn't work, she just uh, does uh, like housekeeping. Right, so you said that your dad is a uh, university professor, is that right? Yes. Oh, okay, what, what kind of uh, field or discipline? Uh, he um, gives a contemporary story, so from the Second World War and this kind. He's quite an expert in there. Okay, so when you were growing up, I mean, did you get a lot of the history knowledge or uh, context from him? Yes, at least for the for the part that he teaches. Uh, it was like the only, the only exam in the university. I studied like nothing because it was like <laughs> just... Uh, being at home, you get a lot of things, and also, yeah, he speaks a lot about about this usually. So you you learn a lot from from him. Right. Does that make you? I mean, what are some of the things that he's shared with you over the years? Is there anything really interesting that comes to mind? Or yeah, also there, my father has always now not so much but when he was younger when i was like uh, three years old he used to play this uh board games like with very small pieces on a on a map about wars i don't know how it's called it's like 
they're like games that like um, risk, but mm, yeah. yeah, but risk. much more complicated and with much more uh, things that you have to do. So he always liked to to play this kind of games, and seems like I also like this kind of games. Did he play with both you and your sister? No, he. No, he has been. He works. He has been working uh, always a lot, and he, the, he never played much with me. Like never. Mm-hmm. You just sort of discovered, or you 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 got involved in maybe playing these games uh, on your own, or just learning how to play on your own. Is that is that true? Uh, yes. Yeah, more or less yes. But there was a point in life where it was quite important because on I think it's uh, 1095 uh, there my mother uh, got us a birthday present for my uh, father like a fourth edition uh, magic text oh okay that was the first time I had cars I I saw them, but I was quite young. I was six years there or so, and uh, I there was in in a box, and he never played. And but later in the school, I saw some kids uh, playing with the cars, and I said, "Oh, I also have this at home." So that was like the the point where I started playing cards. So how old were you when you saw the other kids playing cards? So I'm just searching up. Uh, I that was in okay. That was in '99 uh, because that was when Ursa's uh, saga, Ursa's blog was there. I was just searching for the year. Ah, Ursa's saga, got it. Okay. That was the the for the cards that were playing there. But do you remember how young you were or how old you were at the time? Yeah, that's this. Uh, I was ten years old. Okay, so you got started pretty early. I mean, you saw your you saw people in school playing playing the cards and uh i mean do you remember what some of your earliest uh decks or cards were like did you have any particular favorites at the time in the beginning yeah i i have one card that's this particular favorite I, it's scarlet worm it's not my favorite card but it's a card i remember from back then because i remember that i opened it a single vampire in the in one of the boxes from my father right and the bigger brother of uh, one um classmate mm-hmm. i played with him and he traded it to me and he got my Sengir vampire that was like a really good card mm-hmm. and i got a scarlet worm for it it was like my first trade <laughs> of magic cards. so it has some it has some sentimental value because it was your first trade yeah the, it was not a really good trade but i remember this and i like the card still oh, okay. the, the usual big creature that gets changed for your valuable cards. Right, right. I think we all kind of enjoy playing the big creatures in the beginning of playing Magic, right? So that's that's yeah. awesome. Were there particular... Um, how do I say it? Like, were there particular strategies or decks that you you played with, or was it more the specific cards in the beginning? Also, also that time, I remember to have was like a green deck. It was like... With a lot of mana, the usual uh, Janavar Elf and Priest of Titania and whatever other cards. I also remember a card that was Khaled uh, uh, Nemata Grove Guardian, who for it's a uh, four, five, or six, that it for three mana, it makes a one one sampling token. 
and you can sacrifice some sampling and all your other samplings gets plus one plus one. So I just got lots of mana and made lots of uh, this samplings. And I also had a Grias Cradle. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that uh, snowballed into more tokens every time. But yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a really fun deck to play. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So I'm trying to understand. So you started playing with the the other kids. Uh, was there a particular point in time when you realized that you were getting a little bit better at magic, like in terms of your skill in the game? No, no, no. That's... Uh, I. I have to. I played Magic, and then uh, the Pokemon card game came out. Also, all the Pokemon boom, and I, I just played uh, Magic at the at the school. So I stopped playing uh, Magic, and uh, started playing Pokemon. So you started playing Pokemon. Was that because everybody was playing it, or was there a specific reason? Yeah, it was also a, um, when Pokemon came out. It was really a huge uh, boom all over the world we all know and yeah almost everyone played pokemon there so i started i i was not good but for when i i was playing like in school like six months and then i discovered near my my house uh, a trading card shop Mm -hmm. so i went there and traded cards and got cards and it was quite decent with with all with the uh, with the game the the promise like i had like no money and other players had better cards so when i played i was able to reach like that was four rounds event so three one was pretty reasonable so but it was not like i was a super good player I was just a, ch- a child. I- I'm trying to understand. Was that a game? Because I never really played Pokemon, even though I, of course, heard of it. Is that a game where spending the most money allows you more success? Yeah, usually, like every card game, the the best cards cost quite a lot of money. Like... Right. And you just happened to find this card store kind of nearby, and did you? Did you go with your friends to play in the tournaments for the first time, or did you just do that by yourself? Also, I went by myself, and then sometimes also with my school friends. But uh, with the guys that played at school, they lived uh, quite away from from the shop, so it was not easy to go there, and I just had to walk five minutes. So they came sometimes to play there, but not so often. Was it intimidating to play in the card store or play in a tournament for the first time? I mean, I would imagine that as someone who's young, maybe there's a little bit of hesitation to to do that. Maybe that's why I asked you about whether you were going as a as a group. No, because the Pokemon game was quite well designed for younger so after maybe uh, 11 years old or 12. So this... Maybe yeah, eleven, I think. Uh, so there were quite a lot of others players that was in my age. So it was not a problem. Most of the of the players was between eleven and sixteen years, and there was like uh, one twenty five percent of older players. So it was quite good. Okay. So you played Pokemon for a while, and how how long did you keep playing Pokemon for? 
also that will be three years something like that that should be like this and then i i also played magic at the same time mm-hmm. because in the same shop they made magic uh tournaments but like on a lower level sorry what do you mean by lower level like uh like i'm not not uh quite competitively i i just had my cards and played with them but i was not uh, a uh... good player Got it, got it. Yeah. Then I also stopped playing uh, card games to to play Warhammer uh, as a few years. But I didn't really enjoy playing because the, I, I liked uh, painting a lot. Mm-hmm. But by playing, uh, there was too complicated to to play because for playing one game, you needed like five hours and or more because the rulings were difficult and the games playing was not really fun so i came back to play cards mm-hmm. and and yeah with cards the easy thing is that you just put out your deck and play right and the games don't last five hours like uh Warhammer. yeah you can you don't have to to meet with someone in a house uh, and be there a full day just to play one game mm-hmm. of five turns each. Uh, so after this, I played. I started playing Magic and, and then also Yu-Gi-Oh again. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, a card game, mm-hmm. which there I I was fourteen years old and I was quite successful in in Yu-Gi-Oh, and I was also becoming better in Magic, but still. Uh, the the important thing is when Yu-Gi-Oh started in Spain, I was at the start of the game, so I was one of the first learning to play the game. And in Magic, I it's like nowadays. If someone wants to come not new to the game in Magic, and he has to learn so many things from the past, that's really huge uh, time investment. Right. So in Yu-Gi-Oh, I was just at the first edition when the first edition came out in Spain. So I got the game from the start. There I was quite good. So I think after eight months of playing, I played a national championship here in Madrid. And I won and also played Worlds in Los Angeles mm-hmm. that year. And then I just uh, was every year... Uh, playing national championship and every year I got like the next year I lost the finals the next year I got third uh, then I there was two years that I keep playing but I I didn't uh, did so well because I was busy with my with my studies and then I I have in, in Yu-Gi-Oh I have been winning like a lot I have won uh, quite a few tournaments like GPs I have won European championship I have played quite a, a few times walls so there was a it was a good game until I stopped playing right it's hard to I don't know if you believe this but I actually heard about you when in the context of Yu-Gi-Oh even though I never played Yu-Gi-Oh I had seen your name come up in some maybe tournament reports or something online and that's how I knew you were quite big on Yu-Gi-Oh at the time so I, I just wanted to ask like what were there, I know you said you got good at Yu-Gi-Oh! right away, and you, you got in at the beginning of the game, which is always an advantage, but were there things that you learned from maybe Magic or Pokemon that helped you 
become good at Yu-Gi-Oh almost right away. I'm just trying to understand if there were some things that, like skills that were transferable from one game to another. Also, there there are a lot of skills that you can. Also, I think that every card game is more or less the same, because you have to match some things, and this are in every game uh, the same. You have to manage resource uh, your resources. You have to manage the tempo game. You have to manage uh, to make a plan. Making a plan is really important in, in all games to know how you are gonna play out uh, a game depending on what you are facing, what your deck, or what's your hand there. And I'm quite good at this kind of of uh, play. Also, from my side, I'm quite good at reading my opponents. And uh, this has, in Yu-Gi-Oh, I think it's, you need a much bigger uh, advantage on this uh, subject, because the players uh, bluffing and uh, and making reads it's really important at this game and usually doing so uh, also makes you win much more games and this is also you can put all together and, and at the end if you do all this good you win at almost every uh, card game then uh, like uh, last year I started playing Yu-Gi-Oh and then I just played Magic. Oh wait, you mean you just stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh last year? You you said yes. Okay, so what what happened in what happened in Yu-Gi-Oh? Like why you why did you stop? <laughs> also, uh, in my city, the tournaments were also I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh at Magic at the, and Magic at the same time, mm-hmm. and there was a problem because a lot of my friends of my uh, lifelong friends of Yu-Gi-Oh stopped playing, and this also made like. Uh, our local tournaments were maybe 20 players and 12 stopped playing. So, and that were my best friends. Some moved to Magic only and some just stopped it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means that uh, the going to, to a game store to play against seven people was not really fun. Yeah, And also I saw that I could play uh, eight people tournaments in here in Yu-Gi-Oh or fifty people tournaments in Magic. So yeah, that's quite an easy choice. Also, there is a problem with Yu-Gi-Oh that uh, is that you can play with every card set, mm-hmm. but the game is more like standard. Like it ro- it rotates like uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh Konami. Mm-hmm. That's the the enterprise that uh, runs Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, it puts like a new deck that is far better than all the other in the past, and then you have to play like this one, two, or three decks from the last three or four sets, and then they ban or or put something that is better, and that is always a, a giant uh, power creep in this. You can play your old decks, but in a competitive event. You can't uh, stand against the top tiers, and this makes that you have always to buy new decks to stay competitive, and that also means that when I went to like uh, the GPs in Yugi, uh, because there was no players in Spain playing, then I 
there was also no reason to buy a deck and play it. Mm -hmm. So I could borrow a deck for a GP, but I had not played it enough. So I did uh, bad at the GP because I don't like the testing online and Yu-Gi-Oh! It's not really fun. And then this made that my results were not so good. Right. It sounds like it is important just to have a, a sizable local playgroup. Otherwise, you just don't have the incentive to to do it. I mean, would you say that Yu-Gi-Oh! is just... Uh, of course, I, I haven't played it, but I'm wondering if you think it's a balanced game. Because from what you told me, it doesn't sound like a very balanced game. It's not a balanced game. Also, like every card game, if you... If you have big skill, you win far more than not. Sure. But the the games are not balanced. Also, usually the cards in Yu-Gi-Oh, every deck has like his own combos, and then every combo uh, gets you like uh, two cards, gets you like four card advantage all the time. <laughs> okay, so every 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 card is like an ancestral recall or something. Yeah, something like that. And but you have to chain them together. Like it's not only an ancestral recall. You have to play this ancestral with another card to draw the three cards. And you have to know this kind of chains that because there are all different chains that you have to put together and you have to learn them. And if you didn't learn them good, you can still win because the cards are really broken, but you cannot uh you get not the maximum value of it. Right. So now this is really interesting because the way you described Yu-Gi-Oh! It sounds like a lot of these strategies are combination or combo strategies. I'm wondering if that impacts what you what you have decided to play <laughs> as your main deck now in, uh, in the legacy format of Magic. Is there any relationship there? Yeah, so when um, in 2008, when I come came back to Magic on in eighth edition Mirrodin. Yeah. I started playing um uh, vintage with a budget uh, that was the only events that were on my Lucas I with a, a TPS deck, a storm deck. I like it storm. It was like really great. And I've always liked like combo decks in all the card games I have played, I have always played combo decks. <laughs> okay. Because I think they they are fine. Uh, they are. You, I don't like combat math. I think it's really boring and it's di difficult for me mm -hmm. because I have almost never done it. And like, like last year in a regional PTQ, I qualified playing modern. The regional was uh, sealed, and I lost a round because I just didn't realize I could double block with my creature on one of my opponents. Uh, <laughs> it was okay. like, like oh, I could have done this. <laughs> Right. But because I don't usually do while playing, then I just didn't realize. Right. And right. for combo decks, I I have also in the in the past I have lay uh, liked uh, to do magic tricks like uh, slate of hands. Mm -hmm. And I think combo decks are like a, a magic a magic trick. Like you set up uh, to you are uh, slowly increasing the to a to a climax mm -hmm. and then it's where everything explodes and the game ends i think it requires a, a good setup to happen what you are you want to to do and 
yeah, I quite I just like this deck a lot. It also requires reading your opponent in a way, right? Because like when you have to decide when to go for it or to combo off, you you there are certain things that you can you can understand through how the opponent is playing in terms of him or her, um, like what they might have in their hand, right? I would I would expect that to be a part of it. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, usually I'm somehow good on it. I usually when playing, my mind tells me that I don't know how that I have to do this, or they have this card for some reason. I don't understand. It's like, okay, I think they have uh, a random spell snare, or I I don't hear to this inner voice as much as I should. Mm-hmm. Because it's more times right than wrong, but that's like, oh no, he doesn't have a, a spell. Snare. He has to have a force of will. So because it's so I have therapy for force of will, and they have spells now, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> so would you say that's more intuition or experience in terms of just being able to read what the opponent may have? I think, I think it's intuition. So my way of playing i i think there are two kinds of players one that just uh, think every move and every situation and every outcome like uh, i don't know uh, and there's some players that they play slowly and they think okay if i do this what can happen and there are other players that just realize what's that this is the the good move and so you can see which I enjoy quite a bit uh, watching uh, Luis Scott Vargas' videos because he plays like this. He, right. he just plays by by his intuition and does the right move. And this also makes that the games are that he plays faster. And this is also good for him uh, in time that you don't get draws or that you usually when you play fast, you force. You, you don't force. Your opponents force themselves to play at your same piece, mm-hmm. at the same uh, speed, and that's usually good for the player that, that you're just playing at your or uh, how fast you will play usually. But that's good for you. What formats do you play? Is it is it vintage and legacy? Is that is that your focus? No, I so I play uh, vintage, legacy, and modern. Well, just the constructed uh, uh, eternal formats that I can build my deck and and pick up a deck and play it really much to to be an expert in this in this kind of deck. Okay, so I'm looking at your your 2015 and 2016 finishes. They're quite impressive. Like you you won M- MKM Rome. Uh, you had. Uh, Ovino Vilan, you 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 won an event with uh, in vintage, so you've been doing quite well in terms of vintage, modern, and of course legacy recently. So how do you level up? Like how do you improve at Magic? I'm just kind of wondering because these these finishes are very impressive. Also, uh, this this has been all my life. Uh, every sometimes you realize things. I I remember a tournament, a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament in in America. Now for some reason. I was always knowing what cards my opponent had. It was like from how he played, like I I was in my mind that this cards his cards came up because I know I knew what he had and that's 
that happens when you practice a lot, you know the format, mm -hmm. and you know every tech and what, uh, what they, they do. It's, for example, if you're modern opponent, in, in you started with some, uh, so any play, and turn two, he shocks himself uh, to a blue land. Mm -hmm. And then, what, why he did this? And you, you, you just play, uh, play your turn two, and he does nothing? What he did? So why he shocked he shocked land himself for two damage? That means that he had like spells in him, and that's the reason that he uh, did this play. Then just for the rest of the game, you realize he had a spell snare, and you play around or you play into it. Or but this kind of uh, reads you just change them, and at the end, the you have. You play for it. I don't know really good how to explain. Right, so it's a combination of intuition and experience. But I'm wondering if there's been... Have there ever been situations where you've been bluffed by an opponent? Like maybe someone who leaves the... Who does the shocks himself because he wants you to represent... He wants to represent a spell snare or something. Like, are, have there been cases of that happening to you when you... Yeah, sure. So a lot of cases. I, I have a friend, like from a group of, of magic player friends. Uh, I have one or two. He's quite... I, I play against him the most. He's a famous uh, vintage player. Player. He's uh, Jaime Cano, Duque. Uh, he, he is uh, really, really strong, and we play a lot. So from from my group of friends, he and uh, Sergio, I think, are the strongest players, and they really... He, when he plays a lot of miracles in Legacy, for example, mm -hmm. and I play Storm, and he puts a lot of traps for me quite a lot. Like, he has top and counterbalance, and he knows that my way of winning the game somehow mm -hmm. is like uh, forcing him to tap the the top, to put it on top. So, and and then I just play uh, Duras, and he looks with the with the with the top, and he he puts like okay, I wanna I wanna draw with top, mm -hmm. and then he he wants to draw, and I respond to this just casting a bunch of dark rituals. At least that's my plan, and then he had already a one casting cost on top. Mm. So I use I watched it. I, I my the first card gets negated, and also the second. And he does this not every time, but he's quite good at uh, getting me with this kind of place. Right. I mean, you got to have friends or people who you test with who are really, really good like that, right? Because that's how you get better. I mean, it, it sounds like you've had a lot of good practice partners over the years, right? Yes, yes. The, we are like uh, 12 Magic players in a group, and, or maybe more. And we play a lot, not everyone, because some there I am like the youngest there, but other have family, other have uh, busy jobs. But with some of them, we meet every week, like like uh, Tuesdays or any day, and we play like five hours just magic all the night. 
And right. that's quite good. We played, we build decks, and we test. That sounds awesome. Maybe we can jump ahead a little bit to Storm, right? Because you've been playing Storm in different formats, um, it sounds like, since 2008. You also stream a lot online, right? So can you tell me a little bit about why you stream online and and uh, and and kind of how frequently you do it? So I usually do it uh, once or twice a week, sometimes more, depend on... And I have to work, I have friends, I have a girlfriend. So depending on what days I am at night at, uh, at home and I have time to, to play, I just play and stream. I, I like it because I'm when I was back playing Yu-Gi-Oh! I had a blog where I uh, write about Yu-Gi-Oh! I, and I have always liked to, to write and to explain and making videos because yeah, making videos is uh, is more or less my my job in in life because I like it and and streaming. I think it's something that people learn from you. You also learn from your watchers. Right. Sometimes they they see a a line that I didn't saw or and it helps. I it costs me nothing to to stream mm-hmm. and. Also, when you stream and when you explain your your uh, the process or why are you making this play, sometimes you realize this is a good reason or a bad reason while just speaking about. That's like thinking loud is always better because you realize things that you wouldn't have in other in other, uh, if you would have just sit in front of the computer and play and play games. Right. So it sounds like it's a way for you to learn, right? Yes, for sure. That's awesome. So how, when did you start streaming? Like, how long has it has it been in total? I assume it's just for Magic, right? Yeah, it's just for Magic. So I, I streamed at Yu-Gi-Oh! time ago, but it was not like streaming because uh, Twitch was not uh, so big there. I just recorded the, uh, the games and uploaded them to YouTube. Right. And uh, for for Magic, I think it's like uh, seven months or something like that. Oh, okay. So it's not not a very long time, but it's uh, it's it's quite long if you're doing it once or twice a week, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's okay. How long have you been playing Storm and Legacy? And is that the the only deck you play in Legacy, or do you like other other decks as well? Also, when I came back uh, playing Magic, that has to be uh, when was GP Madrid? That is 2010. 2010, I started playing uh, Magic again after having stopped, and then uh, there had just been the big a big Legacy GP in Madrid, like 2,000 players. And one of the best decks was uh, Anausam with the Mystical Tutor package. Oh yeah, that was so powerful back then. <laughs> when yeah, you could still the, use the, the deck card. was really, really broken. And I had most of the cards. I just didn't have like Infernal Tutors and uh, Anausam because it was the newer cards. But I had the LEDs, I had the Rituals, I have the Duals. Right. So it was an easy deck to, to build from what the cards I already owned. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then I just uh, played the 
uh, I just pulled the deck and went to a tournament after golf fishing like two weeks until I got the cards. And I ended X1 at the tournament with a deck that was really strong. Oh, okay. So that sounds like a really good uh, tournament given that you, that was the first tournament you played with Storm, right? Yeah. So, uh, like I was, I had stopped playing Magic like three or four years. So it was a quite a, a good success. That's pretty good. I mean, most people don't uh, do not do so well with uh, combo decks in the beginning, especially in Storm. Like, in that tournament, do you remember, like, anything particularly interesting? Like, did you just basically bulldoze your way through all your opponents, or was there were there games where there were some pretty uh, tight moments? Also, the, I remember losing the first round against Reanimator. He also had, like, all this Mythical Tutor decks. Uh, cards and this was really great and I just remember that the deck was really cool it was playing instead of the this card that you play nowadays it was playing uh, Silence or uh, Orium Chant mm -hmm. so you got really uh, good setups because you could sometimes uh, induce your opponent that you are like uh, chanting in his anki with kicker so that he can't attack mm -hmm. Or cast or, or cast spells, and then because you had the mystical tutor, you could just tutor for Adnausiam and Adnausiam at this end of turn, and this was a play that you did a lot. Just mm -hmm. oh, I'm trying to chant walk you, and oops, Adnausiam, you are dead. Yeah, oops, I win, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And this happened with this deck a lot. From that time until now, have you played? Uh... Other legacy decks, or has it primarily been the Storm Architect? Yeah, I, the Mystical Tutor got banned two months after I I started playing mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Then the with the cards that they had, I, I played three or four months uh, Belcher because there I I had no other cards, just with the Storm deck, and it was not good at least anymore for. There was no Gitaxian Probe or this kind of cards. Right. So how did you like playing Belcher? I think Belcher is a good deck. You, a good player can pl win more games than not, but I think I think it's a good deck. Just the it's a it's a deck that you just play your cards and you for playing really good you don't get an extra edge. I see. You just um, most of the games you just slam your. Combo and pray. <laughs> Even if you can uh, read your opponent, like it doesn't really help, right? Yeah, it doesn't. It does not. But it was the only deck that I had there. Then I pulled it up to a friend lent me one day his uh, sneak and show deck, mm -hmm. and for locals. And I won the tournament. And I thought, oh, this deck is really strong. Mm -hmm. I think. I, I I think I won every round like two all, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna build this. So there, one month later, there was a tournament in Spain. So uh, two hundred or three hundred players. Yeah. I with the friend who lent me the deck, and with the and me, we just uh, 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 won other other Swiss like we we get to draw to draw in the eighth or ninth round because we are we were undefeated. 
with a deck. This was the format with the survival of the fittest decks. Right. So combo was stronger because the com control decks were, were low on on presence mm -hmm. because Vengevine was really strong against control. Mm -hmm. And then we both ended up losing in top four, but the deck was really strong. I also played it to a top eight uh, appearance in uh, Bazaar of Moxen uh, five or six months later. And that was like uh, um, 2012, 2012, yes, yes. Right. Uh, no, 2012, no, it was, uh, no, 2011. I got to top eight in the Bazaar of Moxen. And then I played it like, Two years should be uh, like until 2014 when I got back to playing Storm. Uh, why did you go back to playing Storm? When this time I thought my Storm is a really difficult deck to play. I, I tried to play it sometime because uh, Timo Sherman won the, a GP with Storm and I tried to build it. And I, I think my skill level with the deck was not good enough. There is something that I have learned with it and you need to know to, to know this or to learn to successfully play Storm uh, there is uh, your discard when to play it is really important it's, it's, it's like against a, each deck I just sometimes you have to wait because oh I have a tourist okay I'm gonna do it you and then two turns later, I have the combo. And then you drew two cards, and there were Brainstorm and Ponder, and you have uh, Contest again. Right. So depending on the matchup, learning when to cast the discards. Like against some decks, you have to cast them really early. Against some decks, for example, against a Canadian Threshold, you want to, to delay your discard as much as possible. Right. Because they are just going to... Getting a tourist or a therapy hit by days or spell piece really sucks. That's so you just wait and you want to do one turn when you where you cast all your rituals, all your discard, and just uh, overload them on on cards they can't counter. So would you say that was the main skill that you had to master to get to the next level of playing storm was just understanding the timing of the disruption? Or was there other things that you felt that you got better at uh, since 2014? I think I think this is like the the main thing. That's the really most important thing on playing Storm. This gives you when to know in what matchup you have to cast the discard, or or when you're also realizing where your odds of winning are higher than. Than not, there's a big one big question that you have to make yourself when you are playing a combo deck. Will the cards that they have, when the games go, if the games goes longer, longer, there is will it be better or worse for me? Right. And making you this question every every turn, every situation that you face, you have to make it like. Oh, he just slammed counterbalance and he made turn one top, turn two counterbalance. It's game one. Uh, it's mm -hmm. game one. What's easier for me to win? If he untaps and gets to look with uh, with top on when I, or if I just YOLO on him having force of will in hand 
or exactly the cost that he needs on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and usually you have to decide this because if they have top plus balance and they can play a fetch land and a ponder and have a counter spell, the game's cost worse. So right. you just have to yolo there, and if you have the force, they they have it. So you're constantly evaluating when to go for it, right? You're just basically every little thing that happens on your side and his side or his or her side, you need to understand, like, is it going to be better for me or worse for me? Or do I just do it now? Yeah, that's that's a big question when you play a combo deck. I've played a little bit of combo myself and I've made some of those mistakes you mentioned, you know, things like casting this card too early or too late. I've often found that when I played, maybe it's my lack of experience, it's very mentally taxing so i'm wondering like for you when you play um is it all very much like second nature now or is it, it requires still like a intense concentration for you so i think not i i i have never because i i play so fast and i take decisions so fast on the on the games mm-hmm. it's not really taxing on me when i'm playing i'm enjoying it so much that mm-hmm. i don't need anything else okay like when I when I play big events, I eat nothing in the entire day. Yeah. Like absolutely nothing. The twelve or fourteen hours long, just breakfast and drinking water. And uh, I just because I'm so fixed in playing and and that every other is not important. I see. And I do better when I don't eat. Oh, okay. So you don't really get tired, like playing more than one day like if there's a two-day tournament or no like... i i have never get tired because i i have been playing uh, long tournaments since i was 10 years old or 12 years old or something like that and i'm already used to this uh, and i just in the morning i have a good breakfast and then i go to the tournament i play and then uh, for dinner i for dinner i eat Quite a lot because just it's like a um, a curve. Then at the end of the day, when I stop playing, all the all the uh, all the thing that I haven't eat anything in the day hits me, and I'm like destroyed. <laughs> but it works. That's amazing. I mean, this is kind of a joking question, but have you thought about playing a deck that's even less complicated? Maybe you would just like become world champion right now, like because you have the stamina. I don't know. I I have always played the decks that I like. Right. I I usually don't play a deck because I think it's the best deck in the format. So for sure, I if I won't have gone to the GP knowing that Anosan was the best deck, it was not because Eldrassi was there mm-hmm. and it, it was not the best deck. But I know that if I enjoy playing the deck that I know, I'm gonna do it better than if I play like the best deck. And also, if I lose, I'm playing the the cards that I like. You play and what you the, enjoy, right? So it's okay. Yeah, and even if I lose, I have having fun. It's really frustrating if you go, I don't know, with uh, Burn, you say... We are gonna say that burn is like was the best deck of the GP, and I just go uh, to play nine rounds, uh, playing lightning balls and and attacking with goblin guides. <laughs> it was like, and if I do fine, okay, it's it's fine. But if I lose every every game, is like, oh, I'm losing this game and I'm so bored. Right, but I have to ask you though, 
are have there has there ever been a time in all the times that you played Storm in any of the formats that you just felt frustrated with playing the deck? Has there ever been a time that's maybe a little bit darker for you? Yeah, it's it's always there. There is in in metrics you always have like bad weeks when everything goes wrong, mm-hmm. and it it has happened to me and every player. But how do you handle that? Like when that happens, how do you how do you uh, continue playing the deck? Like what's your mental uh, process? Also, depending on what has happened, I I think this I'm all for just because of variance of because luck was not of my side or just happened that everything went wrong or it also happened that I played poorly when I'm not in in good uh, in good mark is this called? Right. Uh, like if something had happened in my personal life or like this then I'm playing but uh, I'm not playing quite happy because my mind is somewhere else and these days I usually uh, play quite bad and it, it, you see it at my games where something sometimes I have to I my mind is somewhere else right is there a particular way that you can stay that helps you stay focused in playing the game like while you're playing the game do you have any techniques that you might have learned or picked up over the years no also in every tournament i before the round starts i go to the bathroom i drink water and i always have to have everything uh, controlled for my side I, I get really nervous when something goes wrong mm-hmm. because i have everything uh, quite uh, in my mind at least uh, put together how is this gonna work today and yeah when sometimes happen that not then this makes me play poorly also i have real realized that when i do have a girlfriend i i'm better at playing cards oh why is that though i think it's because usually when i don't have a girlfriend then one of my things in mind is getting a girlfriend so my mind is like <laughs> split it in playing and getting a girlfriend okay and this is and when i already have uh, one so i she's there and and she and you don't have to uh, try to get one get a girlfriend it's difficult it you have if you want to i don't know you are, you want to get laid or a girlfriend or something like that sure it's a lot of effort that you have to to do right. and then your time is split now i know that from this time to this time i have to be both her and then the other time in the day i can't play magic right and for me at least has always worked better and like the last eight years, I have uh, seen this that when I have a girlfriend, I I do much better at tournaments. Right, and I think from talking to people, I get the same impression, and myself as well. It's that I guess I kind of call that the paradox of magic, which is the more of a life you have outside of magic. 
ironically, the better your magic game is because you like it's it's sometimes what happens is that if the only thing is magic and you might end up not doing as well. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but it's sometimes it happens to people, you know. Yeah, it's, I think yes. Uh, so having everything right together in your life does does good for you. Better just having free time and play all day, right? Because it also gets boring there. Let's jump. Back to GP Prague. I mean, that's the big one that you just won. So again, congratulations on that. Uh, I'm trying to understand, is there a particular preparation process you had for going into this uh, Grand Prix? So like four or five months ago, uh, I got the I got the Legacy uh, Storm deck on Magic Online. Not all cards, but some cards are borrowed for, from a friend. Yep. And I got the others. And I started playing from my job on uh, where I work. I have like uh, when I'm working, I have the the computer, uh, the program that I work with uh, has to uh, uh, render some files, and this usually uh, needs like half hour or or something like that. So. In this half hour, I can't play because I can't do nothing from my work at this time. <laughs> right, you can you can be a you can get be more productive in your in your magic life. Yeah. Yeah. So when I'm working here, I work one hour, two hours, three hours, and then if I have like half hour free, I can play a game. And now with the with the leagues on Magic Online, that you just can play whenever you want, like random games. There was because there was quite good for for my preparation and also i played much more games uh, of magic with magic online because yeah it's not play, uh, meeting with friends and so but here you can just play oh i have i have a half hour uh, without that i have to do nothing so i just play a game so you're saying that what's really different this time around or recently for you is just that you played a lot more magic online and that helped you practice more is that right mm, help me practice more i think it helped me playing more not like practicing it's more like just playing just playing, playing is always always good always the best or always good yeah i i think playing playing if you play a lot you can't do anything wrong right it's just good okay so you played a lot of uh, magic online and that was uh that was helpful for you as a player. Was there anything else that you you did? I mean, leading up to the to the Grand Prix. No, I I think I did nothing else. I just knew from my from my testing that I had on Magic Online. I had been beating every deck that was not a Drassi, mm -hmm. but it was like every other deck that was not a Drassi, I was beating it always. Okay, but. Then the I faced the Drassis and they are quite a bad matchup. So I decided for the GP and well, for the GP and for the also the tournaments before that I had tried to beat them, and the and the best way to beat them is ignore them. I see. So what what you're saying is that the percentages are not going to be in your favor even if you try to beat them. Yeah, it's. It's like impossible. You can play Hurricane Recall or whatever, but the Eldrassi deck is just too good for you. You have to pray that they, in uh, in Magic Online, they usually you can search what your opponent is playing. But uh, in real life, 
your opponent doesn't know what you are playing. So also going for the GP, if uh, I was knowing that the the combo decks was on the low end of the of the meta game, mm -hmm. that will mean that uh, the Eldrazi players will not uh, search so aggressive uh, for this hate card. Mm -hmm. And they also started playing less and less uh, hate cards, like Thorn of Amethyst going to the sideboard because in the mirror it was not really good. And this kind of things. Also, when your opponent doesn't know you, he doesn't know what kind of hand he has to keep. And also, if this happens, you can always just turn one them. Just kill them on the first turn, and this is what has to happen. Or they have to keep a bad hand, or you have to race them right. somehow. And this can happen uh, in a GP. Most of my friends uh, beat Eldrazi more than they lose to. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, someone played five times against them and won four. Just by because your opponent doesn't know what you are playing. Right. And this, if I would have faced them, I don't know what would have happened. I had a plan, but I was not really good. I also had in my sideboard, uh, Death and Taxes was not, was not a lot, a deck that was played a lot mm -hmm. in the GP. And I had no cards for the sideboard for these matchups. Right. I just wanted to beat like other combo decks and also all the Delver and the Miracle decks because I was sure I was going to face this kind of deck more than one, once. My plan was not on winning the GP. was just doing Day 2 because I had never Day, uh, day 2 at Legacy GP. Oh, really? So, so your first Day 2, you won the thing. Interesting. So what was your record at the end of Day 1? Uh, undefeated with two buys. Was there any particularly challenging situations or matches for you in day one? There was one round, game round four against Infect with Black. Like, I mulled to five, mm -hmm. and I keep a one-lander. Uh, and then he just started, uh, he had a slow hand, just attacking with Nexus and so. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, he just kept countering all my cantrips. Everything, like uh, Daze, Spell Pierce, Flusterstorm. Uh, every card I played, every turn, he just got to counter. Then I was, it was one turn, I was dead on the next turn. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, I knew he had a brainstorm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, the I have four cards in hand. So I had the land, and I just got... Like double LED and uh, and uh, and uh, passing flames. I just okay. You uh, play LED, play LED. Uh, discard my hand, cast passing flames, and then try with a three or four controversy controversy before just mm -hmm. to hit runner runner with every card. And this was all with multi five, which <laughs> was quite a cool game. And it's kind of weird that he would counter your cantrips, right? Or did he sense that you were just digging and, or that he didn't have enough pressure? So I think he, he had a lot of counters and uh, not uh, pumped spells. And also I was just stuck on one land. So he wanted he wanted just to, from me mulligan to five and, and he, him gaining time, if he counters a ponder, then there is one more land that I cannot deploy into second land or find more combo pieces. 
Right. I think this is a, a fine a fine plan if your opponent if you have somehow of a clock and your opponent is mold and stuck on lands. So counter, uh, countering the cantrips is not a bad plan there because you're doing something, at least if it's slowly. Right. Okay, so were there other uh, matches in day one that were as close or exciting or were they mostly uh, easy matchups for you? I think they were not easy matchups. Uh, I'm just checking what my matchups were. I mean, you must have played against Miracles and some Delver. No, I, I played Zero Miracles only in the finals. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, what were your matchups like in day one? Like, did you was it mostly Delver decks? I remember I recall you saying that you were fortunate to not have met any Eldrazi matchups, right? So I'm trying to. Yeah, I had zero Eldrazi's and zero and zero uh, Miracles into the finals. So the first two rounds it was um, by then I played against Merfolk, which is a easy matchup. They have they are a do nothing deck, just they have chalice. But usually <laughs> to just destroy the chalice and go off. Right. Then I played against Infect. I played against Burn, which is also with the sideboard I play, it's an easy matchup. Right. Because having uh, three tendrils in the sideboard and, and game two m- makes this game really, really easy. I played against Pack Delver, which game one he kept a hand, uh, he kept a, a weird hand. Uh, he didn't know what I'm playing, and also I just go turn one. He he had multiple six. I go turn one. Okay, he goes turn one land go. I go turn one ponder go, mm-hmm. and then at at the end of my turn, he thinks uh, he plays a brainstorm. And I bluff that I'm going to uh, daze the brainstorm. Mm-hmm. So he next turn he thinks I'm s- some kind of Delver deck, yep. and he taps out for a confidant. And the next turn I just win. I see his hand. He had a spell piece, right? And he tap it out for that confidant, and then I just go for it and win. If you can bluff a daze, uh, that's al- always a, a weird daze because. If he molds and he plays turn one brainstorm, is because he is stuck on lands or on action. He has maybe uh, two brainstorms, but no second land. Mm-hmm. So bluffing there uh, a days makes that him also wanting to win as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So I played against Shardless, Grixis, and uh, the final round against Grixis Control. Which is uh, quite an easy matchup, and and then the second day I played against uh, the Rack Delver with Hooting Mantras for my top eight, and he just stifled all my mana all the game, and then against Alexander Hain who got also top eight with Grixis Delver, which yeah was two close games where I went off two times and I nothing happened. Mm-hmm. In one, he was hellbent, and I go to passive land with four cantrips, and I found nothing. And then game two, I I played uh, ten goblins to two, and I got raised by a Delver and a Dathra Shaman. Ah, okay. So then I played against Merfolk again. This was a, a quite interesting game because I win game one, and then he says, "Oh, it's really weird that I play. It's a really 
good matchup for me with Merfors. I say from my experience, I <laughs> Merfors quite a lot. Okay, after the second game, he he won. I saw he had like uh, Charles, other uh, cursor catcher, and all this Flasterstorm, Fossil, Surgical, Relic, Cage, Nullrod. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had like a Phyrexian Revoker. Phyrexian okay, Revoker, wow, even yeah. in Merfolk, that's like, wow, I mean... Okay, I I understand that it's a good matchup for him because he had like uh, 11 cards in his side, <laughs> uh, but I still managed. <laughs> okay, it's a good matchup for you, but I still got to beat you game three. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you have to draw the cards, that's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, the, the problem is that most of his cards are turn two, so... Uh, if I get to see his hand, it was like turn one, Duras, a days, and turn two, therapy, the null rod or the revoker on, or his other hit card, mm-hmm. and turn three or four, just win. Right. Yeah, it happens all the time with Merfolk. Is there something about Merfolk players that just makes them unusually confident? Uh, Merfolk is it's mono blue deck, but I don't know. It's I still don't know what against is good Merfolk because they always say it's good against Miracles and then the Miracle says yeah it's it's okay if they <laughs> don't get Chalice. Usually right. if you are playing a Chalice deck with that is good if you get Chalice in the right matchups. Then I played against a Lance deck. I was I knew what he was on mm-hmm. but he didn't knew what I was. So I just Drew all the time, lands, 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 and never go be able to get help. No, that was the second game. The first game, he just made turn one mana bomb, turn two Marit Lich, and killed. Mm. And he saw nothing from my deck, just a swamp. And I was, okay, so game two, he sideboarded only three cards. He didn't know what I'm playing. Mm-hmm. And he, he, the game was really long because I had like three upper of the case in my hand. And I just keep drawing lands and more upper the case. And that was like, he was doing nothing because he was not able to find a Tespian stage mm-hmm. by dredging. But I just got to six lands and won. And then the, the third game was more or less the, the same. I got flooded, but uh, he drew like, he had like exploration, uh, Luam first turn with a port. And he kept just stretching a few turns, but didn't find uh, the combo or a wasteland, so or hate card. So I was able to win. Right. So you were flooded in game three, but he was just even slower, so you you could win fairly easily. Yeah, and okay. then there was also the the last round. I played against Infect. I win the first game, mm-hmm. and then the second game, he moves to five, and I say, whoa. Okay, that was my win and in round. And I say, whoa, mm-hmm. that's good that he that he molds to five. It's never nice, but for you, for saying, okay, he's mulling to five. So, and then he got like turn two Silvan, Silvan Livery mm-hmm. and killed me on turn three. I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. It's Going into game three, I mean, you just lost one where you thought you you might have won that. What what was going through your mind? Because it's a win and in, right? Like, were you especially nervous or? Yeah, it was like, oh, this is the 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 most important game on the today. Like, I just got my opponent got really lucky. Luckily uh, for for me, I got I get to start this game, but 
what happens if everything goes wrong? Mm-hmm. If he draws a good hand, or he kills me too fast, or I draw bad, and that was like the gamer was most nervous because it was like this or nothing. Yeah, yeah, everything counting on this one game, right? And after after just losing in a in a fashion that I would have not expected, and I'm more of five for my opponent. And so you won this one, right? <laughs> yeah, I won, and then. I also I I I won all the other rounds. Yeah. All the top eight. Uh, so in the top eight, I mean, were you when you first knew you made it into top eight? Like, were you excited? Like, what were you feeling at the time before top eight? Oh, I mean, I like really. I I still don't believe I I won the GP. I still I think it's just something that I have dreamed about, yep. and but but is. It's like really great, and then there was all my my games in the top eight was was quite uh, uh, difficult because I was just about to lose. Mm-hmm. I played in the top eight against Shardless, which is a really good matchup. Mm-hmm. But first game, I just got to do nothing, and then one turn, I I get to Agnosium. But I am at low low life, and I have to find with the with the cantrips and passive flames and the, the tutor, mm-hmm. and I draw like eleven cards or see or see even more, and didn't find the tutor of the tendrils, mm-hmm. and I lose. The second game is exactly like this one, just in the last card, but because I had a double sensitive winning top, I like I was like, look with the top. Oh, I see a Gitaxian pro. Uh, change the top. Uh, draw the top with Gitaxian probe. Look for the third card. Oh, it's a ponder. <laughs> <laughs> change the top. Ponder. Uh, shuffle. Oh, look with the top. And that's, that was just one situation where I was out of mana. Just uh, I had just six black mana. And then uh, I look at with the top and just the third card down. That was the on, uh, the card that I didn't know. Was the uh, was the tutor and was just bam game. Right. And that was like, whew. And then the third game, uh, my opponent had uh, nothing going. He had like him to Turach and and a few Tarmogoyfs, mm-hmm. and he got killed. Right. That's not going to be enough, especially when he doesn't have uh, any way to disrupt you. I think the pivotal game, the one that everyone's still talking about now, is the final match with Miracles. I know you yourself has said that, you know, looking back, you made some mistakes. There was a line that you didn't see. We won't go into that because the fact is you still won. I Rather, I want to focus on when you won because I saw the video coverage and you looked just like you were, how do I put it? Like, just, just relieved, right? Like, it, almost like, it, to me, it looked like just as an observer that you were... You were very surprised that that you you pulled through. So I, I'm trying to understand like what's what was going through your mind when you when you won that final game. Also, after losing the second game because I played one DKI Shulden, there was a third game where I want to try to go off, and uh, my opponent I see his hand with a Taxian Pro, and he has Snapcaster, Surgical, Double Flash Storm, and Double Fossil Will, which is quite a, a strong hand and I am on a two-turn clock from his snapcasters. So and that's really really strong. So 
uh, and then I managed to to play in some manner that that he that I get uh, like therapy. He has to use double force another therapy. He has to use a flash storm. Uh, okay, this I already get three cards from him, and then that was a really game that lot of things could have done uh, gone wrong for me and i ended up winning and after this i i i was it, it's true i was crying from from being relieved like okay i won this it's mm-hmm. it's unbelievable i have won this game and i have won the gp was <laughs> like whoa so uh, maybe it's I'm not strong uh, uh, guy or just crying because of winning, but that was really uh, tears of joy that I was happy that and it, I, I I the game was really difficult and I won. Yeah, sometimes you you win, you get out of really bad uh, situations in your life uh, not only in playing magic and then it's you cannot uh, uh, stop from from showing what you feel mm-hmm. because yeah i mean it's a pretty amazing uh, result and story i know that even when we were watching you i mean we were as a storm player or as a as someone who lo- just loves legacy, I mean, it looked incredible. So I can only begin to imagine how you actually felt being the person who played in the game, right? That must have been just an amazing feeling. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I mean, what's next for you? I mean, you're you're obviously gonna go to the the one of the upcoming pro tours, is that right? Yeah, pro tour Honolulu. Okay, and is there any preparation that you're going to to do for that i mean i i assume that the format is what sealed or standard or something it's, like it's that? a standard and a draft uh because every pro tour right now i think is this format and the preparation i'm gonna do the problem with the pro tours is the new set comes out and then there are like two weeks to prepare for it so there is really not uh not a lot of things that you can do before the set gets spoiled. So right. every when the card first cards uh, get spoiled, you can start working mm-hmm. because you already have some information. But that makes that you have like three weeks only to prepare in a format that I don't know. I'm not good at drafting at least. And I'm good at drafting a cube draft and this set, but. Uh, the the usual decks the usual sets I'm not so good for them I usually do very poorly at draft because you have to do a lot of combat math but then bad at it <laughs> maybe counting to ten is uh, a little bit better for you <laughs> yeah okay and as a standard uh, this kind of decks are 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 always um, uh, creature decks or control decks. Well, I mean, weirder things have happened. I mean, it, it sounds like this has been your uh, the first day two GP and you won it. So you never know, right? It's anything can happen when you when you play in a tournament. So it depends on how good I I get to prepare and if I like to the what I'm playing. Mm-hmm. If I find a deck that I like to play and if I if I'm enjoying the the games and yeah, I, I don't know when the time comes. We will see. Right. 
Okay, so if you don't mind, I'm going to wrap up with one final question. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I want to know if you have any magic-related goals. Like, what's next for you? Like, in the next, um, I don't know, let's just say one to six to 12 months. Like, do you have any specific things that you're looking to achieve or any kind of goals around around magic? So this week is a big tournament in Madrid. And there is the, the World Magic Cup qualifier, and it's modern. I, w I was not going to play. The only thing is that uh, uh, someone told me that the World Championship is uh, modern, the Team World Championship. So I want to play a Pro Tour level event with uh, a format of that I know. And also, this is because lately playing the PTQ system uh, has been not so great for me because this qualifies you for uh, standard per tour. And I don't like to play standard. So there is not a big reason to play, to play this, this circuit. Right. So, so this, and there is also, uh, the modern GP in August, uh, Lil, that uh, I also want to play there. But outside of this, uh, no, I, I would like to top eight a uh, modern GP. But yeah, it's like maybe happen, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, I, I think uh, there's a lot of exciting events uh, coming up for you, and I think just talking to you, I, I really feel like you just have a this kind of love of magic or enjoyment of magic and and I hope you can continue to uh, to do it for a long time yeah I, I hope so at least right now nothing says that I will stop playing right that's that's good we hope to see you continue playing so um, yeah Rodrigo it's been really a pleasure talking to you and I hope we can do this again sometime I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope that uh, you will continue to be very successful in magic yeah thank you very much for everything and I'm sorry for everyone for my not so good English oh no <laughs> but, it's fine but I hope you more or less understand me and thanks for for uh, tuning to to this and for you to to do this and all the the work that you are also doing for magic yeah no thank you yeah take care and i will talk to you soon yeah bye i hope you've enjoyed this episode of humans of magic i would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better you can find me on twitter at james underscore sue that's James underscore H-S-U. Please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.